Well, good evening, ABC College. Hope you are doing well on this Wednesday. So glad that you're joining in with us for our theology and doctrine study we're doing this summer called CORE. And I hope you've been enjoying these past weeks. Uh, But if you notice, I have move locations this week. Uh, We're getting our building ready for reopening this Sunday. So our location we had upstairs for doing video uh, is no more. And I thought I'd mix it up and try to record in my office this week. Uh, So I have like the most cliche set up ever for a theology series being by a bookshelf. But it was the coolest thing I could think of to do in my office. And who knows, in a future week, I may set up like outside or something, or maybe I'll go to the quad and record on the quad and make all of you who aren't in Tuscaloosa, you know, nostalgic uh, for that week. But um, but for this week, this is where we're going to be. Um, but anyway, if you have been following with us, uh, you know that we've been walking through really two main topics so far for our study this summer. For the first two weeks of the study, we've talked about the Bible and what it reveals to us about God and why we can trust it. And then for the past two weeks, we've been talking about who is God? You know, who is this God that we see in the Bible? And this week, we're going to move on from that to us. You know, if God is, you know, has revealed himself to us through scripture, then what does he say about us? And who are we in light of who God is and in light of what uh, the Bible says? I mean, that's kind of the ultimate question that humanity has asked since really, as far as we can remember, is really what does it mean to be human? And, you know, what is our place in the world? And we're going to see a little bit of that answer tonight as we move into this conversation that we'll spend two weeks on. Or actually, no, we'll spend one week on us and we'll spend the next week talking about how sin affects us. But, you know, for the next few weeks, at least, we're going to talk about, you know, our human experience, if you will. And so tonight, really what I want us to do is look at two aspects of what it means to be human. Uh, And those two things are this, is that we are created by God. And that we are created in the image of God. So two big things that we could spend hours and hours talking about, but hopefully I can give you a condensed kind of answer to some of these questions. And maybe I can spark um, some more questions and more study that you may want to do on your own. But here's the thing. Uh, What I want you to do right now uh, before we continue with this tonight is do this. I want you to find your Bible. Uh, You can pull up on your phone, print Bible, whatever. But find your Bible. And turn to Genesis 1 and 2. It's at the beginning of the Bible. And uh, pause this video for just a moment and read Genesis 1 and 2. And once you've done that, then come back and watch the rest of this video. Because reading those passages is going to help you a lot um, as we talk about tonight. So are you ready? You got your Bible? All right, pause this video. I'll be waiting for you. Okay, now that you're back... I'm assuming you read Genesis 1 and 2. If not, you just saw me pause awkwardly for a second. But now let's talk about some of that in there. Because if you know much about the Bible, if you know much about Christianity, Genesis 1 and 2 specifically is called the creation account. That it is the Bible giving us um, really the the account of how God created uh, the world. Now, it's not the kind of creation account that many people would like for it to be. In talking about, you know, scientific, you know, technical aspects of how God created, but it is what the Bible gives us uh, about creation and how we came to be and really how everything uh, came to be. So what I want to do is just for a few minutes point out some specific things in Genesis 1 and 2 to kind of give us more of an idea of what it means for God to be creator and to for, for God to have created us. So a few th- things to think about. One thing that we see 
in Genesis 1 and 2 is this, is that God created out of nothing. Theologically, we call this ex nihilo sometimes. It's Latin for out of nothing. But we see this in Genesis 1 and 2, that God spoke creation into existence. He didn't shape it out of some preformed substance, but he shaped it and spoke it out of nothing. That Out of the very power that he is, he created everything. He created the matter that makes up the universe. This is meant to show us the power and the majesty of God, that he has created everything, so therefore he has authority over everything. Um, and so science, um, as beneficial as it is, any science that tries to you know, tell us that the universe has always existed and then you know it's just kind of over time randomly come together to be what it is, well, that goes against what the Bible would say about creation. And we'll have a lot more to say about science and how beneficial it is and how it's not opposed to faith. Um, but we got to be careful to compare what the Bible teaches us and what we can know in creation for what you know science may lead us into believing. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing we can see is this, is that um, God created creation good. That He looked at everything He had made throughout those seven days of creation, which we'll get to in a minute what that may mean. But He looked at His creation and He said, it's good. That God has made the world beautiful. Um, that even in all the brokenness that exists because of sin, God's original intent and His final goal in creating the world and everything, including us, is good. He's created it for beauty, for glory, to glorify Himself. And so we want to remember that God had good intentions and has good intentions and has a good direction He's moving the world in. He hasn't left it to spin into chaos, but He has good intentions and He's moving in that direction. Another thing we see is that we see so much order in creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, scientific accounts of creation that don't take into account God would maybe say uh, that creation has kind of happened through happenstance, through random, you know, a collision of atoms over time. But the Bible would tell us that God has created everything with order, with organization, not with chaos. Now, sin has affected even the very atoms of creation where there is chaos and disorder today. But God created everything with specific order. And if you even look at the flow of the way that Genesis 1 and 2 happens. There's forming and filling that happens with God creates, you know, even the the skies and the heavens, and then he fills them with stars and moon and the sun. So there's this idea of order there as well, that God has created everything with order. And a lot more we could say um, about that, but really for us specifically, what does creation reveal to us about God? Well, God has revealed to us through creation that he's powerful, that he is uh, separate from creation. He's not just part of the universe, that everything isn't God and God isn't everything, but God stands over creation, that he has created it. But also creation reminds us that God is active in the world, that he's personally involved in the world, that God is beautiful, holy, good, and he's sovereign over everything. And we'll have a lot more to say about that in a minute. But as you read Genesis 1 and 2, there's probably a lot of questions uh, that you have that you may realize the Bible doesn't really give you about Genesis 1 and 2. Things like this, like how old is the earth? That's been brought up a ton in science and in the church. Like, is the earth billions of years old? Is it thousands of years old? You know, how do you do the math on even the the history in the Bible to calculate how old the earth is? Well, the Bible doesn't give us the answer to that question. And you can read lots of stuff about uh, different opinions on how old the earth is. Christians disagree. You have young earth creationists. You have old earth. You have people who believe the earth was created with the appearance of age, even though it's young. You know, I'm not going to get into all the reasons that people believe those different things and their support for it. But the Bible doesn't tell us that. But that's okay. We have room to disagree um, 
on these things, but we can see the Bible doesn't give us a specific answer to that question. Uh, what about the length of a day? When it says the first day God did this, second day God did this, well, is that day 24 hours? Is that day, you know, thousands, millions, billions of years? Yet again, the Bible doesn't give us an answer to that. Uh, the word yom in Hebrew can mean day, but also it can mean age. That's led people to speculate all kinds of things about how God created and how long it took for God to create or how long God you know, allowed creation to, to take. Um, but yet again, a question, it is an answer. Even the question of how God created. You know, did God create in more of a process where he even used natural processes or what we would call natural processes um, over billions of years for things to come into existence or not? Yet again, the Bible doesn't give us clear answers to these kind of questions. But honestly, that's not the point of Genesis 1 and 2. And that's one specific thing we want to keep in mind because I get it. I was an engineering major in college. I love science. I love technical things. Um, these kind of questions are fun to dive into. But we got to remember that Genesis 1 and 2, its intent is not to tell us all of the how behind how God created. It's not meant to tell us all the scientific stuff. Really, the main point of Genesis 1 and 2 is this, is that God created the world, therefore he has authority over it. And God created the world, therefore, and he created it good, and therefore, Really, the whole picture of the Bible is that God has created the world good, that sin has fractured the world, and God through Christ is now working to make all things new again. That's the big things that we see in creation uh, and in Genesis 1 and 2 specifically, because Genesis 1 and 2, it's poetry, and we have to read it that way. We talked about a few weeks ago reading the Bible in context. We have to read Genesis 1 and 2 as the kind of literature that it is, that it's poetry that doesn't give us all the scientific answers, but it tells us really what the Bible wants us to know, that God is creator, so he has authority. And really the, the worldview that Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us, um, teaches us that God is creator, which therefore leads us as Christians to oppose what many would call naturalism, which is just the idea uh, that the world has always existed, um, or it kind of randomly came to exist through uh, whatever set of circumstances, and that there's no God who's sovereignly over all of creation, but really the physical world is all that there is. Uh, as Christians, we're, we're not naturalists because we know that God is the one who stands over the universe and over creation. He's created it, and he, he created it good. So we're not naturalists. Um, and so that's an important thing to remember. Uh, another question kind of in light of this that we already began talking about is, okay, does that mean that the Bible is anti-science? Or does that mean that uh, faith and science are opposed to each other? Well, the answer is no, and we could have a long conversation about that, but we won't tonight. But what I want to say is this. There's lots of great books you can read. Um, honestly, even a great podcast you can listen to on our podcast. If you go on our website and just search way back a few years ago, uh, Lucas Johnson did a great talk, really multiple talks on faith and science that are going to be way better than anything I'm about to say. But you can go do some research and learn that way. But I'll say this, is that, you know, faith and science are in no way opposed to each other. Honestly, for thousands of years, Many of the people who have made the biggest contributions to scientific discovery have been people who believed in God and have been Christians. It's really a recent thing to think that you can't be a Christian and be a good scientist. Because the, the truth is, science focuses on studying the physical world. 
Um, but really, science is limited in the sense that it only can discover things in the physical world. It can't say anything about the things outside of the physical world, you know, the spiritual world. It can't disprove the existence of God, although science can give us clues into the existence of God. Uh, and honestly, if you do a little bit of studying, you're going to f- see that really even in science, science's endeavors to prove things like how the, the world came to be, that science over time, especially recently, that science has come up with more questions to how the world came to be than answers. You know, we have discoveries like the Big Bang, which some people use as ammunition to say that we can, you know, take God out of the equation of creation. But really, what does the Big Bang teach? The Big Bang teaches that the universe had a beginning point, which sounds a lot like the book of Genesis, where God spoke everything into be. And we can go on and on with all these different answers. But really, science over time, while it has lots of different you know, opinions and theories about the way that things came to be, really it has a lot more questions than answers. But if you look at um, the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, you actually find that science over time, as they've done more research and, and discovery, the current beliefs on creation are lining up more and more with Genesis 1 and 2 every year, you know, every decade as they discover uh, more things. And I love this quote by Robert Jastrow that kind of <laughs> echoes this. Um, he says this, At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise a curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) I love that quote. Um, It's not to say that scientific discovery isn't good, but that's to say that the Bible gives us a lot more uh, insight than really many scientists over history have have really wanted us to believe or, or thought about in terms of creation. And that while the, sci- the, the Bible isn't a science textbook, it does give us some, some foundational truths that apply to um, the scientific world. And there's lots more we can say about that, but we'll kind of stop there um, on that. But for creation for us as human beings, as we move more into talking about humanity tonight, you know, what does all of this mean for us as humans? Well, it means a lot of things, but we can say a few sort of things about it. Uh, this means this, if we've been made by God, then that means this, that if we've been made by God as human beings, then we belong to God, that we exist for God, that we're going to be empty if we try to live apart from God, and that we're accountable, therefore, to God for how we live. You know, this also means that we're not here by accident, that we're not just a a product of chance of a bunch of atoms smashing together and us rising out of some kind of primordial soup over billions of years, but that God has intentionally and purposefully created you as an individual. He's created you to know Him and have a relationship with Him and to have meaning and purpose in creation and in the world. It means that God is not just some kind of cosmic force that exists out there, but to get, but there is a personal God that's created you and wants to know you. And this means that God is also, according to Genesis 1 and 2, and really the whole Bible, it means that God is intimately involved in the world, and He wants to be intimately involved in your life. There's a philosophical school out there called deism, which basically teaches that if there is a God, that he kind of you know wound the world up like a clock and kind of set it into motion and stepped away. And as Christians, we are not deists in the fact that we don't believe that God has kind of spun the world into motion and let it happen. But no, he is intimately involved in the world in every moment. He's actively sustaining the world by his power, and he wants to be intimately involved in your life as well. 
that even in the pain and in the brokenness of the world, he's not far off, but he's even working those things for ultimate good, as Romans 8 would tell us. So God is not, he's not distant and far off, but he is near and he's involved. So for you personally, it means this, that you as a person, as a human being, have purpose in life, that you're not a mistake, you're not an accident, you're not hopeless, that you may feel sometimes that, that you're any of those things, but the doctrine of creation would teach you that that's not true, that your life has meaning and purpose, that God sees you, He knows you, He loves you, He cares about you, He wants to be intimately involved in your life, that you don't have to give in to despair and feel like the, the world has no meaning, that your life has no purpose. You don't have to try to medicate the, those feelings with, you know, all the things we want to medicate ourselves in in life with, you know, Netflix or social media or, you know, relationships or, you know, whatever. We try to medicate these feelings of hopelessness. But know that instead we should go to the God who made us for the deep meaning and satisfaction that we look for in life because that, that that's only going to be found in a relationship with him because he's the God who created us. So that's a very brief uh, account of creation and uh, and what it means for us as human beings. That's the first thing we see is that we're created by God for a relationship with Him. But the second thing that we're looking at tonight is that not only are we created by God, but that we are created by God in His image. So look with me again in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm going to point out just a few specific verses that will unpack more for a second in this part of the conversation. But look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27 just for a second. It says this. It'll be on the screen. So then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice our there. That's just a, a clue into the Trinity already in Genesis 1. Um, evidence for the Trinity. This is, you know, in our likeness. And, and let them, them being man, mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, that being mankind, not just men. Uh, he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you see male and female are both there, okay? So here's the thing. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Lots of speculation over time. But here's the deal. You're not going to find the phrase image of God all over the Bible necessarily, but you're, you are going to find the concept all over scripture. And, you know, over time, this has been called the Imago Dei. If you've heard that phrase before, just means image of God. It's That's just in Latin. Um, but what do these scriptures teach us, you know, about it, what it, about what it means for us to be made in God's image? Well, really, if I could boil the whole complicated idea of being made in the image of God into two ideas or two words, I would say this, and they rhyme, right? Which is great because I'm a pastor and that's what we're supposed to do alliteration, but two things for image of God. It's connection and reflection. That us being made in the image of God means that we have a unique connection to God and that we are made to reflect God in the world. What do I mean by that? So many things we could say. We'll keep it brief, okay? So for connection, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you see that unlike the rest of creation, you know, which was created simply by God's word, that humanity has been created by God's hands and filled with his breath. That we were created in a very special way. You know, animals in Genesis 1 and 2 were created according to their kind, while we have been made in God's image. So that means this, that human life has superior dignity 
value and worth more than anything else in creation. And that means that human life should should be respected in that way. Not that we don't care about the lives of animals, but that being made in God's image means that human life is special in the world, that it should be cherished and valued over any other kind of life. This also means being made in the image of God, that we have been created by a a personal God, like we talked about, that wants to have a unique connection and relationship to us. Us being connected to God also means that we can communicate with God, that we can receive revelation from Him, and we can respond to that revelation with worship and with you know communicating even back um, to Him in prayer. No other part of creation has that special connection. Uh, God making us in His image uh, means that He has created humanity as good and intending to glorify Him. Now, as we'll talk about a lot more next week, we've rebelled against God. We've sinned and chosen to distance ourselves from God, but that doesn't change God's intentions and His ultimate goal for humanity, to glorify Him and have that connection to Him. Also, being God's image bearers, it means that we have the ability to know right and wrong, that we have that special connection with God, that we can obey God's moral commands. Uh, Also, This means that if we're intended to live a life connected to God because we're made in His image, it means that when we try to live a life disconnected from Him, then we're living against the very nature we've been made in. That that really, if you want to define sin in a very big picture way, it's trying to live a life disconnected from the God that made you. So that's the first aspect of being made in God's image, that we have this unique connection to God. What about reflection? Okay, well, that's a whole other part to it. So we're created not only to be connected to God through being made in His image, but also we are created to reflect the character of God, the attributes of God in the world. And obviously, there's some attributes of God that we we can't reflect, right? Like God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at one time. I, I wish I could be everywhere at one time. I'd be a lot more productive in life, but we can't be. You probably wish you were the same, but we can't reflect that character. You know, also His omnipotence, all-powerful. We got to sleep. You know, he's omniscient. He knows everything. I sure don't know everything. I, I, I learn more than I need to learn and know every day. Um, God never changes. We change all our lives. God's eternal. He's always existed, always will exist. While we always will exist, we all had a beginning in time that we were created. And so therefore, we'll, we are eternal in the sense that we'll live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. But we haven't always existed. Don't think about that too much. It'll make your head hurt, okay? Um, Also, God's sovereign. He's in control over all things. We wish we were that, but we're not. So those are all things that we can't reflect necessarily of God's character. But there's lots of ways as human beings made in God's image that we can reflect God's attributes in the world. Just here's a few to think about. You know, we're created for relationships, that we're created to live in a relationship with God. We're created to live in a relationship with other people, Uh, even psychologically to have a healthy relationship with ourself and we're created to have a healthy relationship with creation and to be stewards of creation we won't have time this summer to get into even all that idea but that's a big one as well to be caretakers of the world that god has made um also being uh, reflecting in god's image means that we've given been given authority over creation like we talked about to be good stewards also even our own creativity and our our sense of discovery and desire to explore in the world those are all things that we can reflect of god's character god is a creative god god's a uh, god who you know it takes good pleasure in creating things you know you get the sense of joy of god in creation and we can reflect god in that in our own creativity in art and music 
music and science and all kinds of things. Uh, compassion. Our God is a compassionate God. We reflect God in our own sense of compassion for other people. We reflect God's character in our desire for mercy and justice and peace in the world. Uh, we reflect God's character in our desire to love other people, to be in loving community and loving relationships. Uh, we reflect God's character in our desire for truth our desire for uh, righteousness and things to be right in the world. Uh, we reflect God's character by our own desire to even have meaningful work in the world. You know, the reason that many of us have this deep desire uh, to make a difference in the world, you know, maybe not just to work a job, but to really contribute to something significant, that comes from us being made in God's image, that God is a, a worker himself, and God want, He's made us in his image to reflect that by being active in the world. It doesn't mean you have to have a career or a job. Being a stay-at-home mom is a huge, huge you know effort and work and career in and of itself but we all have this innate desire to want to make a difference some way in the world and that comes from being made in God's image also we have a love for beauty just the love for aesthetic beauty in the world that comes from being made in the image of a God who is beautiful himself and also creates beautiful things so we see all this kind of stuff that all these ways that we can reflect uh, God you know, in the world, and all those things point us to how we've been made in God's image ourselves. We can go on and on with that. We won't tonight, but you, I think you're getting the idea. I hope this maybe even gives you some more food for thought for your own study. But a few more thoughts, and then we'll wrap up for tonight. Because one important thing to realize is this, is that while we are made in the image of God, there's only one person who is the perfect image of God, and that is Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus himself is the perfect and complete reflection of God to us. Why? Because he is fully God. He's God in human form. And we'll talk more about that even in a few weeks when we talk about the person of Christ. But Jesus himself is the only perfect and complete image of God. So even this concept of being made in God's image should point us to the truth of the gospel. It should point us to the truth of who Jesus is. And so once we become a Christian, the rest of our life then really is a process of us growing more into the image of Christ who is the perfect image of God. So really, in some ways, you can think of the Christian life in and of itself as being this process of having the dust kind of wiped away from your life so that you can reflect God more clearly. That if you've been made for, uh, been, been made in the image of God for connection and reflection, then really the process of growing as a Christian is to grow more in that connection and grow more um, in that reflection. Uh, but also, there's another side of this we really got to be careful with is that the truth of the Imago Dei means this, is that every person is made in the image of God and every human being bears the full image of God in themselves. That may seem kind of evident, but let me unpack it for a second and why this is important. You know, the image of God in us, yes, has been marred by sin, that none of us perfectly reflect God. None of us um, are perfectly connected with God in the way that we were created to because of sin in the world. We'll talk more about that next week. But we have not completely lost the image of God in our sin. You know, by simply being a human being, we are created in God's image. And by simply being a human being, every person bears the image of God. And no person bears more of God's image or less of God's image, you know, based on their ability to reflect more of God's character or not. And that, that may seem kind of like a, a weird thought, but here's the thing. Tragically, in the world, in history, you know, that kind of false theology that people bear more or less of the image of God based on, you know, who they are, 
that has led to some awful things, things like slavery, genocide, the abuse of the, the disabled. Terrible things have been semi-justified using a very false theology of the Imago Dei. So we have to be very, very careful um, with this. But instead, here's the thing. The truth is that every person, no matter what, is made fully in God's image, that they are an image bearer, and that we should value all human life, that we should fight against any effort to devalue and oppress people made in God's image. And so really practically, what does this mean for us? And we'll we'll land on this for tonight. This means that we have to fight for the inherent dignity and rights of every person. Because they're made in the image of God, that every person is. And let me just give you a few specific classifications to to really think through. This means that we fight for the unborn, that tragically millions upon millions of babies are aborted and killed um, before they even have the ability to be born in the world. But those babies, even though they're still in the womb, they are bearers of God's image. They've been made in God's image. And so we as Christians, that's why so many in the church over history and over time have taken up the cause of uh, fighting for the rights of the unborn and being against abortion. I know that's a huge issue with complicated things, but um, the simple matter is those babies are made in the image of God. So we want to give them the chance and the right uh, to live. So that's one way this plays out. Another is that the image of God means that we should fight for the disabled. That, you know, historically, tragically, some have said that, well, people who, you know, don't have the same mental capabilities or capacity, they're they're not as important in the world because they don't bear the full image of God. And that's, that's false theology, and that's tragic and heartbreaking. But no, we should fight for the rights and the the care of the disabled, that they are made fully in the image of God, that God sees them, knows them, He loves them, and, and the church Christians should have that same heart of God for the disabled community. Also the elderly, that sadly the elderly in our world many times get neglected because we think, oh, well, their time has kind of come and gone. They're not as much use in the world today. Therefore, they don't matter as much. And that's also tragic. Number one, it's tragic because we we miss so much wisdom from the elderly. But also it's tragic because people, no matter their age, are also fully made in the image of God. And they have so much to contribute to in society. But even if they didn't, that God sees them, that they're human beings made in His image. He loves them. He wants them to to experience true love and community in the world as well. So how dare we say they're not as valuable to God? So that's the third one. And the last one, and we'll end on this, uh, is that this means that we also fight for the rights of the oppressed. And you know as much as I do the crazy things happening in our our country right now. And I say crazy, um, really I should say heartbreaking things um, happening in our country uh, right now. That uh, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and uh, uh, Ahmaud Arbery and many others has yet again brought to the surface uh, the tragedy of racial injustice and systemic oppression in our country that sadly me as a white man, I, I can turn that off and not think about it because it doesn't affect my life as much. But my black brothers and sisters, they can't turn that off because it affects their life every day. And these tragedies have um, brought to the surface again the reality of oppression and injustice in our country, especially against uh, our, the black community in America. And just over the past few days, I've been you know reading and praying and thinking of all this kind of stuff, and I still don't have the most articulate kind of words I could give you right now. Um, but I know that my heart is breaking so much for what I'm seeing in our society, 
but really so much of what I'm even seeing in the response uh, that many Christians are giving to uh, this tragedy. And one thing I'm trying to learn more and more is I know that me as a white male in this country, I've had so many privileges and not had to deal with so many issues of injustice and unfair treatment because I'm a, I'm a white guy. But many of my black brothers and sisters, especially black men, have suffered under such unfair uh, prejudice for years and years, and their ancestors have suffered under it. And I have not been a good listener. I have not been a, a voice against this in the way that I should have. And I'm just incredibly sorry. I know that many people watching this are uh, are white people because we have mainly white people in our church. And I have more to say about that in a second. But I just want to say to any members of the black community that I'm so sorry for my lack of being a voice in the way I need to be. And I want to become a better listener and a better learner. Um, and I want to become uh, more of an advocate uh, for fighting against oppression and injustice. Um, and that the church should be known for that. But sadly, we haven't been in the way that we should historically. And I want to be a part of, uh, of changing that. Um, but the theology of the Imago Dei and, and the image of God means that every person is made in God's image and that it is a tragedy and it, God hates it when people are unfairly treated, when they're oppressed, when injustice happens. And that the church has the responsibility to stand up um, for the rights of any who are unfairly treated. Um, and a lot more we could say uh, about that. But if I can speak even specifically to some of my kind of white friends for a second, um, just over the past few days, I've really been discouraged by the way I've seen many people respond. I'm not speaking to anyone specifically, but I want to encourage you right now, especially um, all the white people watching this, that I know that much is being said about the protests and the damage being done. And very few people are actually saying that destroying buildings is a good thing. But I want to encourage you that right now, I think the responsibility of white Christians especially is not to be immediately dismissive and critical. But our responsibility right now as white Christians is to learn to be way better listeners, to have a heart of compassion, to hear the pain that is being expressed in these protests. Because when people are protesting and writing in this way, it shows us that they don't feel heard. They don't feel loved. They feel like this is the thing they have to do to get the attention of the country, that the peaceful protests of the past apparently haven't worked, and they, they, they feel like they have to find a way to express this pain. Honestly, anger is a, even part of the stages of grief that people go through. So the point I'm trying to make is this, is we got to be way better listeners and learners right now, not quoting MLK back to our black brothers and sisters. They know, all right? But we need to be people marked by compassion and love and listening and it's a long process and journey that we have, but it begins with listening and compassion, not with dismissiveness and not with criticism. So let's be those kind of people. Let's believe in this true theology of every person being made in God's image, who everyone is equal, and we want to fight for equal rights truly and fight against any system of oppression and injustice and racism that exists in our country because it does. We can't say racism has gone away. I've seen too many Facebook posts or Facebook comments recently that tell me racism is alive and day in our country. We got to be against that. The church has to stand against that. So let's begin that uh, even more today. Um, but with that said, um, we're going to wrap up tonight. Sorry, I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent, but I think uh, it's important and I just want to express my heart uh, to you guys uh, tonight. Uh, but know I love you. Know that I'm praying for you. I know that we miss you so much. Um, if you're going to be in Tuscaloosa, 
here soon. Uh, know that we'd love to have you come join us for worship um, at ABC Gathering Physically um, starting this Sunday uh, at 1045. Also, uh, we still have live streams happening, and we'll begin live streaming services this Sunday as well. So we'd love to have you turn, um, tune in for that. Uh, but like normal, uh, also, if you have any questions from tonight, uh, the number you can text is right here on the side. I'd love to have you text in any questions you may have about tonight, um, and hopefully I can answer those in the coming weeks. Uh, but we hope you guys have a great night, and we'll see you soon.